Welcome to this BTOG podcast. My name is Tom Newsom Davis. I'm a medical oncologist at Chelsea Westminster Hospital, and I'm proud to be the vice chair of BTOG Steering Committee. This is part of our regular podcast series entitled BTOG Does, where we have informal chats with experts in their field and tackle the most important questions that we all face in the diagnosis and treatment of thoracic cancers. It's important to say that sponsors of BTOG do not have any role whatsoever in the planning, content, or the delivery of anything we discussed today. So today's podcast is titled BTOG Does Astro, Estro, sorry, 2022. Um, it's a pleasure to introduce Dr. Jenny McDonald, who's a consultant clinical oncologist and friend of the show, um, also friend of BTOG. Fiona works at the Royal Marsden Hospital um, and is also happens to be part of our uh, lung MDT. Um, Fiona was at Estro this year, and I thought it'd be very useful for us to catch up about what's been going on in this meeting. Um, Fiona, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me, Thomas. It's my great pleasure. So we are, um, like the previous podcast, we are hidden in a room behind BTOG Summer Meeting in, in Hammersmith. Uh, we have one microphone between us, so we hope that the uh, audio quality is good enough. Um, tell me about Estro. I've never been to Estro. I'm a medical oncologist. This is more of a clinical oncology radiotherapy meeting. Um, where was it? Who goes? What's Estro all about? Um, so Estro is our, our, our European radiation meeting. So it's not just... Um, clinical oncologists, we have large proportion of um, physicists and also our radiographers that, that go predominantly. Um, we do invite medonks, I believe Ali Greystoke came a couple of years ago. Proper doctors. Yeah, absolutely. And this year we had Heather Waitley there. Excellent. Um, Heather the... Waitley being the head of the International Association of Study Lung Cancer, so she's a, a global figure. Yep. So this is a big meeting. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a big meeting. Um, it's all tumour types, much like, so where you've got um, ASCO and ESMO, we have ASCO Astro and Estro, Astro okay. uh, being the American version and Estro being our European version um, of the meeting. So it, it, it's got, it covers broad topics like um, new technology, so protons, and that can be across any tumour type. Um, so lots of physics, lots of uh, motion management solutions, which, you know, our radiographers, uh, radiographers who deliver the radiotherapy need to be, you know, up to date in. So multidisciplinary. And then within the different tumour types, um, we get updates, whether it's radiotherapy across the board mm -hmm. or specifically in, in, in lung cancer. And is this where the, the, the big radiation oncology based studies will produce their data? Is this a kind of premier location or would they would they produce them at ASCO as well or is, is this kind of yeah I mean it's a bit of both to be honest okay. um it depends yeah you know if you've got more of a multidisciplinary result in a multidisciplinary yep. trial you'd, you'd probably take it more to the the ESMOs and the ASCOs yep. but when it comes to um some of the more technical data um like sub-studies for example of 0617 looking at IMRT or something like that you'd, you'd very much take it to a radiation meeting because we've got the audience there yeah. of, with the physicists and the radiographers deliver the treatment as well as the clinicians so it really depends on the topic of the work as to which meeting um you 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 pitch it at gotcha. but it's very well attended across the disciplines that are involved in in, in um, and where was it this year where was it this year? Where have I been to? Uh, Co -co -co I remember it was. Copenhagen. 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 Sorry, I've been to Milan since. I'm Copenhagen. Copenhagen it was. So in lovely Copenhagen, yeah. um, what do you think was what were the big hitting results? What, what stands out in, in your memory? So I think the most important, albeit it's, uh, you know, small, small late data is from the Sabre Comet trial. So for those of you 
um, who haven't heard of the Sabre Comet trial. Um, it was initially presented a few years ago, and this is a study looking at the addition of stereotactic radiotherapy to standard of care, usually some form of systemic anti-cancer therapy, in patients with what we call metachronous oligometastatic disease. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. So oligometastatic, not many metastases, yes. usually defined as around three to five. Yes. What number were they using? Um, they were using five. Five. But in reality, I'll come back to this, but in reality, the majority of the patients went in had three or fewer, okay. even though up to five were allowed. So for the for our for our, our audience who are paying careful attention, this is non-small cell lung cancer, metastatic. No, 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 no. Sabre comet was any tumour histology. Any tumour. Any tumour okay. histology. But metachronous implies that the primary plus or minus nodes are controlled and the METs have appeared later on. So it's not synchronous oligometastatic disease when the METs found at the yep. time of diagnosis. Yep. So you've had your primary treatment, you've done well for a period of time, usually in some trials three months, some trials a minimum of six months disease-free interval. And then at the point of relapse, it's only limited relapse with up to five sites of disease. Um, and it could be prostate, it could be breast, it could be renal cell. Um, but there were a proportion of patients um, in the trial that had non-small cell lung cancer. And these patients were randomized either to the standard of care, which could have been hormones in breast cancer, but you know, in our non-small cell lung cancer okay. will have been chemotherapy. This probably was pre- Hmm. may not have had that many actually on IO. I don't know okay. how many did. So, um, so, so when we're interpreting this in terms of our lung cancer patients, you have to be careful because it's a bunch of different cancers. Yes. But it's using the concept of either cancer is progressing in a limited number of places and the patient remains pretty well because yeah. these are trials patients. Yeah. Is there a benefit of trying SABRE? Yes. So it was randomised between just the SACT or standard of care um, or the addition of SABRE to that backbone of, okay. of, of SACT. Um, and the, we know the initial results from, from uh, previous years. So it was a phase two, and it had an, a design that was what called a relaxed alpha, allowing us to also power it for overall survival. So in the phase two setting, it shows a significant progression-free survival advantage and overall survival advantage, despite the fact small numbers relaxed alpha design. So the data that was presented at ESTRO was the, the data at kind of five years and beyond, um, so the late data, so albeit it's small numbers because it's the yep. late survivors, yep. but the median progression-free survival um, was 12 months versus 5.4 months in favour of the addition wow. of... Um, so so more than doubling? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, and also for the median overall survival, it was... 53 versus 28 months and this is just lung cancer patients no, this is, these, these are all this patients is all patients okay. across the board and uh, excuse to the question because as you know medical oncologists don't understand these things saber mm. what's the difference between saber and cyber knife ah interesting so we get that a lot actually from um, our patients so i often say to my patients that it's kind of like the difference between an apple mac and a pc okay. so it's it, the machine you deliver it on um, is different to the technology or the software that you use to deliver the treatment. So CyberKnife is a machine that um, is very good at delivering stereotactic radiotherapy, the highly conformal technique, yep. allowing us to deliver very high doses to small lesions safely. Um, but it's not the only platform of delivery. You can equally deliver stereotactic radiotherapy on a normal linear accelerator, yep. as long as you've got the right all singing, all dancing, fancy tools. Now, when I say that, um, we have both available um, at the Marsden where I work, 
we tend to do the majority of our, our lungs on a, a normal LINAC um, just because we, we can we get very good visibility with our comb beam CT. Okay. We do elect to use our cyber knife. You can use a normal LINAC, but we do elect to use our cyber knife for certain lesions like spine because the tracking ability of the cyber knife, just we have more confidence with the, um, the, the spinal cord. So but the, the saber we're using here is a technology that should be available in the radiotherapy department of most people listening to this podcast. So very interesting question there, Tom, because I until so. fairly recently, um, we had limited centres, certainly within England, that were commissioned to deliver this. Okay. Um, and although we've been, you know, campaigning for this to be rolled out um, across the country. Um, it wasn't really until COVID hit um, that we had the mandate um, to roll this out um, across the country. So one of the pieces of work um, that myself and a number of others have been heavily involved in um, is, is helping roll this out with the education that, that requires these techniques around the country. Um, and the first site um, to now be commissioned um, throughout the country is the ability to treat um, lung lesions. Now that includes now uh, primary lung lesions can get Sabre in any radiotherapy center, but okay. also uh, lung metastases because it's the same sort of technique. And the technologies there is a commissioning there. This is support, supported so, by NHS England or whichever devolved nations um, commissioning there is. So since Sabre Comet um, reported, and since we've had the results from our UK-based registration mm -hmm. study, the CTE. Um, this is now commissioned in metachronous oligometastatic okay. disease, commissioned up to three sites okay. of metastases um, rather than the five that were included in Sabercomet, because the vast majority of data right. is on the one to three. And that's regardless of tumor type. It is only in metachronous, not synchronous, yep. so not at the same yep. time as you've got an uncontrolled primary. Um, and rolled out across the country is the ability to treat lung mets. Many centres can also treat other sites like spines and adrenals, but we're not there yet with the whole rollout. That programme is continuing. But from the point of view of people listening, how will or could this change practice? This could change practice in the patient who is on systemic therapy for their lung cancer. They are well. The majority of the cancer has progressed, but there is up to three areas which are growing. And in that scenario, we know that there's... No, you're talk now talking about oligoprogression, mm. which is different. That's the whole... Okay. Which we can come back to. So this is at the point of relapse. Yeah. So these are patients that have had their primary dealt yeah. with. At the point of relapse, regardless yeah. of your histology, in an MDT, we need to be looking at the pattern of relapse. Yeah. We know the vast majority of patients have got systemic anti-cancer therapy options, and I believe that's true across the board for tumour types, not mm -hmm. just in, in lung. But the question is whether we should be adding in, adding in, yeah, adding yeah. in at that time to, point. To, to, to systemic therapy as well. Yes, at the point at, at, at that point of relapse, if it's limited and yeah, three or fewer yeah. lesions that are all suitable for stereo. And suitability in, is, is size or location or both? Both. So in general, it's small lesions. Yeah. Um, so in general, kind of up to the up to five centimeters, it, it is kind of. And does that include brain? So brain is different. So brain is, is, is has been routinely yeah. commissioned for ages. So the reason brain, so brain was ex explored many years before this whole extracranial thing, mainly because of the um, kind of chemotherapy sanctuary site it's always seen mm -hmm. to be. So it's standard of care, as long as you fulfill yeah. the NHS commissioning, to, to, it's been that for ages to get the SRS to the brain. 
Um, so this is really talking about extracranial oligometastatic okay. disease. Um, and, and, and does, do you think Sabre Comet changes our treatment paradigms? Will, will you and I be treating our, treating our patients differently in six months time based on this? Not on the up-to-date data because we're already doing it. Okay. The reason the update at Estro was um, interesting is that you know we are seeing that the benefit is is is, is continuing uh, with longer-term follow-up, um, but also importantly, there were no um, additional grade three or higher okay. toxicities, which is important when we're talking about improving survival of yeah. patients that we're not leaving them with um, morbidities, um, and there was no impact on quality of life with the addition of this treatment as well, which I okay. think is important. Um, and there was reduced rates of subsequent need for palliative radiotherapy. So that went down from 70% down to 24%. Oh, right. okay. And although there were similar rates in both arms with this long-term data of subsequent systemic anti-cancer therapy, mm. there was less of that being chemotherapy. Any quantity of life data? Yeah, no impact on quality no of life. No, okay. And that holds out now to this kind of beyond five years data. Okay. Um, so I certainly think, and this is not specific to, to lung because the trial isn't, yep. um, that we need to be at the first point of relapse, not just saying this is, you know, metastatics, CMEDONC, you know, yep. sacked alone. We need to be looking for these patterns of oligo. Which fits in with our, our BTOG championing of the MDT, which yes. is when your patient progresses, have a discussion with your colleagues, make sure that whatever you're considering, you've considered all, all facets of treatment. Yeah. Okay, so that's Sabre Comet. Yeah. Big news. Everyone very excited. Um, any other highlights in Copenhagen whilst you're trying to remember where you were? <laughs> so um, one of the other things which was nice to see was um, some UK data presented. Um, and we had, there was a lovely presentation by Patty Diaz, who you probably don't know, but she's an absolute guru. Guru. Um, she is um, one of the team from our radiotherapy quality assurance uh, group okay. based at Mount Vernon. And she has been working, with, along with others, has been working very hard on helping with this UK Sabre rollout programme. Okay, so um, this very much follows on what we talked about. Exactly, exactly. So um, she was presenting some of the, the data on the, the lung Sabre rollout, which covers lung mets, but yep. also is relevant for the sites you haven't yet started doing Sabre for early stage lung primaries in those that weren't having surgery. Um, and a massive amount of, of work has gone in. So centres that weren't doing it were matched with centres that have been doing it. And there's this whole mentorship scheme going on. And then there's cases that go out. So it's, it's your, your kind of um, contouring case goes out. Um, and then the clinicians have to contour, um, not just the target, but all of the important organs at risk to make sure we're delivering this high dose radiotherapy safely. Then that gets resubmitted. It then gets scored by an experienced clinician along with um, a member of the RTTQA team. Um, and then feedback to the site as to whether they've passed or, or, or failed and, and some education tips, plus or minus a bit more mentoring before the resubmission. And then on the resubmission, the aim was to hopefully have everyone passing that aspect. That was also repeated for the planning, which is the physicist bit. So after you've got the contours on, you then give it to the physicists and the physicists have to do this technical radiotherapy planning that gets submitted. Yeah. And again, feedback and critique. So vast amount of work to ensure radiotherapy quality assurance with this rollout. And this was multi-site across the whole UK? Yeah, uh, in England. Wow. That's a huge undertaking. And again, a stupid question for medical oncologist. I assumed that when someone contoured, contoured something, whether it was you or a colleague 
200 miles away, it will be the same, but clearly not. Clearly, there, there's a variation in interpretation. Is it interpretation of, of normal structures? Is it interpretation of tumour? Or is it an interpretation of what should be covered and what shouldn't be covered? Um, it's difficult. It's probably a combination of, of all of those things. I think what it really highlights is this is not a straightforward technique. And there are certain organs at risk that for locally advanced disease, which is where we're normally doing our technical stuff, you don't need to contour. Like, you know, we're not worried about the bronchial tree, for example, in um, our conventional radiotherapy because it's uh, the tolerance is above the doses we're giving, our kind of 60 and 30 type doses. Okay. But as soon as you get to stereo, it's all about what we call point doses matter. So where are you delivering that pixel, or maybe just a bit bigger than a pixel, where are you delivering those really high doses and if it's over like a tracheal wall for example yeah. are you overdosing it and running okay. the risk of um, fistula or hemoptysis or whatever so unless you're outlining these structures that we're not used to outlining unless you're outlining them accurately yeah your physics plan is not going to pick up and and normally in normal practice there's no review of this this is just done by the clinician and one hopes that it's as good as it can be. Yeah, I mean, so in normal practice, um, we've highlighted by the Royal College of Radiologists that peer review um, does pick up some changes okay. that are suggested. So more and more across the country, peer review is, is happening to sign off contours. And, and of course, it's a large part of, um, you know, the day job is, is training the registrars yeah. and reviewing the registrars yeah. work. So they're, uh, you know, able, able to do this. And, but, but if you've never, as a consultant, if you've never outlined, for example, the brachial plexus, or you've never outlined the proximal bronchial tree, it's kind of learning to, to do yeah. that. And, and, and if we've only got kind of one case to get it yeah. right yeah. before you're then, you know, able to do yeah, it, yeah. it, it really highlights the role of radiotherapy quality assurance and, and highlights the work we do in the UK to make sure these new techniques are rolled out robustly. And what did this study show? What was the results of the... Presented Estra. So, um, num a, num a number of things, but I think the most the most crucial one was was that the, the, the particularly the normal tissue contouring was a very high failure rate for first submission. Wow. Um, but but that subsequently we you know with the mentorship etc cetera, etc cetera, we have been able to commission every every centre. So I, I think you know it, it's not to say that everyone should have been able to pass first time if it's a no. technique you've never done. Yeah. Um, but it really highlights the role of what the programme has provided, which basically involved every centre. You're yeah. either a centre trying to learn, yeah. or you're a centre mentoring, or the vast amount of work that the radiotherapy... I mean, this is brilliant, because this is exactly what we should be doing. We should be making sure that what is... that people undertaking treatment have, have the expertise to do that. It doesn't sound like there was, but was there any any resistance or reluctance for people to be part of this? Or did people get offended that their scanned plannings were, were being looked at? I mean... So, I mean, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I was one of the scorers. Ah, yes, yes. I you're on the, on the right side of the yeah, table. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think um, I get to hear the, the moans and groans yeah, when well, they get you back. reports back. <laughs> but, um, you know, I like to think that, like I say, we only have one chance and one yeah. case to kind of, with an iterative process, to get this right. Um, and, you know, if people were upset by it, it's just got to come down, you know, we've, if you're a scorer at the end of the day it's about patient safety um so i'd you know if people are upset with me and the other scorers as it were that's kind of 
fine. Yeah. We've just got to yeah. take that because we have to ensure and, that robustness. And do you think this is applicable more widely? Do you think it might lead to a um, a different way of peer review, whereby should happen, I guess, in medical oncology, which is, you know, who knows if I'm describing things correctly, no one's really watching. Our clinical oncology is ahead of the game, and is, is this beginning of a way of maybe making sure that someone remains on track? Potentially. I mean, you know, I think peer review is, is, is not um, performed everywhere, and I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to resources and yeah. job plans, and, you know, it, it, it is kind of duplication of work, you know, two sets of eyes when traditionally has only been one, you know, where yeah. does that additional yeah. resource come from? But it's something to to strive towards, certainly. And, you know, as we see in our MD, MDTs and the discussion we've just had at BTOG, which I know on the podcast you weren't there, but, you know, how complicated MDTs are getting, for example, in, you know, this stage three setting, you know, in MDTs being challenged by someone of your own specialty, yeah. uh, you know, is is good uh, and we don't necessarily have the luxury all the time in all the mdts of always having two surgeons two medonks two pathologists mm. two radonks mm. so that you get that peer-to-peer -peer, um you know pushback i guess yeah. I, 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 i'm a great believer that actually if you have someone else in the room of your same speciality i think we all up our game yeah if we're being honest okay so that's saber comet um you told me about the quantity assurance data what about earlier stage disease you largely focus now on more metastatic was anything tickle your fancy in the early stage or locally advanced disease we should know about? Yeah, so locally advanced disease, I, I, I think it's, yeah, and it's nice, again, it's nice to highlight UK work. So some really interesting data coming out of um, the Christie to do with um, work on cardiac constraints. So I think since RTOG 0617 um, came out a number of years ago now, so that was the study looking at escalating dose in stage three disease, escalating radiation dose. I remember this because I think I heard it in Australia. Uh, I think came out then, and I remember that the higher dose was associated with a worse outcome. That's right. And there was much head scratching. Yes. Um, as to why, if you increase the dose, okay, maybe it wasn't more effective, but why was it worse? And then my, yeah. my limited understanding, it's to do with the fact that it wasn't the radiation was less, was causing uh, less effect on the cancer. It was comorbidities, effect on cardiac function, appeared to be the concern. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a number of... of, of um issues with it, which I won't go into the detail of, but one of the um, issues seems to be cardiac dose. So we've right. been worried about lungs for ages and they've got very strict constraints. This whole kind of encompassability thing essentially comes mostly down to, can you meet the lung constraints as well as the cord? But, you know, the kind of cardiac constraints are a bit more optional. The esophageal constraints are kind of, you know, optimal, but not mandatory. Um, and now we're far more concerned about the heart, but then the question comes, well, what should the heart constraint be? If we need to bring the heart constraint down, how do we get that balance between um, avoiding cardiac, uh, well, avoiding morbidity due to cardiac dose yeah. and mortality due to cardiac dose against not treating patients radically enough so they're then dying of their, their lung cancer? So where do we set that constraint? Um, and clearly it's going to be, you know, an enormous challenge to try and do that in a randomised trial, given everything else that's going on. You've got your your lawyers, your adorers, your I mean, you've got so much going on in that space with the with the drugs. Um, how would you ever changing one kind of seemingly small thing? How would you ever work out whether it was the right thing to do or not? So the team at the Christie have done um, an immense amount of work um, looking at large data, um, and 
essentially one of the important pieces of work they've done, which is um, which, which was presented previously and, and updated at ESTRO, is taking like, like masses and masses and masses of patients who they treated radically, and then looking at what we call the dose cube. So that's, if you imagine a kind of generic chest, if you imagine yeah. everyone had the same anatomy and the same chest, and you kind of put the dose on it of where it was hitting what, you know, the heart, the lungs, the esophagus, um, and then you correlate that a massive amount of data in, in, in hundreds of patients to mortality, it's essentially identified that it's the base of the heart rather than anywhere else. Base as in apex? This, the, the, the cranial bit. Cranial bit. Cranial okay. bit. Top, the top of the base. heart. Yeah. Yeah. Top, yeah, but otherwise known as the, the base, but it's slightly confusing. Not how I think of it, so, but I understand what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know whether it's um, the coronary, the, the, you know, to do with where the coronary arteries come out. We don't know whether it's to do with like sinoatrial node. We don't actually know that it's actually a heart structure. It could all be to do with the blood, throw, blood flow and the, the lymphopenia. So something around dose there. Um, and, and was that a surprise? Would you have expected it to be more about ventricular dose? Or did people, has it always been known that that part is particularly sensitive? No, not, not at all. But these large data sets have identified that that's the bit that if you irradiate correlates with mortality, not necessarily cardiac mortality, mortality, which is why it could be partly lymphopenia. Um, you know, now, now with all we know about the immune response, et cetera. Yep, yep. Um, so what they are now proposing to do, because they've got, you know, large numbers of patients coming, coming through their greater Manchester patch, is they've kind of done planning studies to try and find that compromise between um, being able to treat enough patients radically and yet being able to meet a constraint. And they've set it, they're going to set a constraint and then use a kind of iterative process on big data and population time. So you've got a bunch of patients up till now who've had the standard constraint that they currently use. Then the next chunk of time they use this new constraint. And then they look at the outcomes. Is it the same? In which case they've done no better. And then they iterate and say, well, do we bring the cardiac dose down? Or are we already seeing the survival going up? So it's just quite a clever way to try and assess new technology in a big data where you're never going to get a um, randomised So we're, we're never going to have another RTGO 617 because we have too many other variables. It's been there, done that. But now that that dose of radiation is going to be pretty much fixed, no one's going to really change that. But if we can change the way which can be given, yeah, how we plan it, then so we dose has to go somewhere. You don't yeah. want to like spare the yeah. heart and dump it in the, in the lungs. Yeah. So it's trying to work that out, and it kind of feeds into, you know, if it kind of potentially then feeds into other trials like with protons, where you might be able to heart spare a bit more because of the dose distribution. So it's just really interesting, big data. So this may not change what we do now. No but it informs on future studies, and it may well be in the years to come, the radiation plans you are giving are going to avoid, for example, base of the heart, yeah. because it transpired that was the trouble. Yeah. And that might minimize our, it will reduce one hopes mortality for whatever reason, whether that is Absolutely. side effect related or yeah. cancer related. And, and you know, all the more important as well, because in the last year 18 months two years i get lost with time in covid we've had the lung art trial come out the post-operative yes. radiotherapy yes. which again showed that the mediastinal radiotherapy was associated with um mortality even though it was helping with local disease control so again more concerns raised um whether post-op 
um, radiotherapy is still going to be part of the paradigm. We've heard today, you know, what are we going to do in an R1? Well, at the moment, the access to adjuvant IO, um, chemo IO is, is still going to be for the R0s. You know, so it, port hasn't gone away completely. Um, and so it might feed, feed, you know, the heart constraint is probably the heart constraint, whether you're treating post-operatively microscopic or whether you're treating um, stage three. So learning more about what the heart dose is doing, what we should try to optimally um, constrain it to is going to be really important. Brilliant. Well, I've learned a lot. I always do. Um, that tells you what, how little I know. Um, thank you, Fiona, for giving us the highlights of Estro. Um, and we look forward to hearing another update next year. I've just booked you in. Um, so uh, thank you very much to the audience for listening. Um, as mentioned in previous podcasts, we are updating how we do our podcast. I'm going to be joined shortly, I think probably for our next recording, by my colleague, Leanne Castle, who is a respiratory physician from Barts and London Hospital. And we're going to do two interviewers and one interviewee from, from here on. Um, but thank you very much for joining us uh, for this uh, podcast. And we very much look forward to you joining us for our next. Bye-bye.